Welcome to the Property Experts Podcast, where you'll find open conversations, no bullshit attitudes, and deep dive insights from award-winning property developers and business owners, Ben Richards and Jack Jiggins. Together, they've delivered over 40 million in gross development value over the last five years and have a pipeline of over 25 million to deliver in the next 18 months. They've built numerous other seven-figure businesses with six-figure net profits around their property ecosystem, and it's by no means been an easy ride. So on this podcast, they'll share their weekly trials and tribulations running multiple businesses, giving you never before seen insights into the inner workings of finding, funding, designing, delivering, and selling award-winning property deals, together with golden nuggets of advice through the five key areas of any business, marketing, sales, operations, finance, and talent. If you're a young entrepreneur looking to get started or have a small team, but you're looking to scale your business to the next level, this is the No Bullshit Podcast for you. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of XP Property Live at Five. It's been a really busy week, a very successful week, um, and there are plenty of top tips that we're going to be talking about. If you've not joined us before, welcome. We're here every Friday at 5pm. Um, we talk about the learnings within our property development business, our wider ecosystem of businesses, which we're going to be talking about today, with the hope that you can grow your business, learning from things that we've done and the successes and the mistakes that we've made to take them into your own business and grow from them. So welcome. We've got a jam-packed agenda today. We're going to be talking about our ecosystem in greater depth. We've built a series of businesses that will feed into each other and that's why we call it an ecosystem. Jack's got some Jack's hacks, kind of personal finance tips for you. And we're going to be sharing a spreadsheet that we use to manage our private finance. We're going to talk talking about loft conversions and the top tips and things you need to be looking out when you're converting a loft, whether that be for HMO or single let or redevelopment or any you know, family house, whatever it is. And we're going to be talking about some of the key things that you need to look at. Direct debit payments. I don't know what the rule of percentage cost is. Jack's going to be telling us about that one. We had a successful planning approval from our Marlowe project, and we're going to be going through a bit of detail about that project, how it's going to be coming together in the new year and what stage we are currently at. And we've also got a new project stroke investment opportunity that we have on offer for anyone listening. We raised £14 million worth of equity in the last five years, about £41 million worth of debt. And this is just another asset that we are looking to buy and bring on board some form of investment partner. So if that's you, get in touch. And then we're going to be talking about the Developer Club end of year event, which Jack and I will be suited and booted for this evening. Onto our ecosystem. Jack, do you want to touch on it? Yeah, so I just wanted to sort of share with our followers and listeners, there's always the juggle with becoming a developer straight away or running a service-based business first. I would be telling a lie if I didn't say that a development company is really, really difficult to cash flow. Today, I'm in a room with 18 other developers that are turning over 10 million a year. And guess what everyone's problem always is? And it's cash flow. It's a beast in its own. And I think that anyone that has a handle on accounts, you know, balance sheet control, management accounts control, and having all all that information is already a step ahead for development. Because I feel like a lot of it is, you know, making sure that payments are paid when they're, you know, most likely to be due rather than right away because you might need that cash flow in the business. And when you're developing, you know, we've got a site coming up that we're going to be sharing a three million gross development value. £800,000 bill, that's not an easy gap to plug if you've got a hole. So I suppose 
running that business is difficult. And we always talk about service base probably first to take care of your overheads, your running costs. And, and, and actually, in the next slide, we talk a little bit more about managing your own personal cash flow, but also then looking at the development space. Now, I went to an event on Tuesday, which was a Christmas event that I was invited to by one of our solicitors. We're in the process of transitioning, and this is a solicitor that sort of made the shortlist. They're a local business. They're big enough. They're, they're well reputable in the industry. And coincidentally, I was sat next to an architect that was based in Maidenhead. We got speaking, and you know, potentially there's some work that we could do with them in central suites or in XP properties. There's a lot of collaboration there. But the most important thing is we've actually won the job to quote for his work in his architectural practice to produce our measured building and topographical surveys. We've got databases of local businesses, local architects that we've been constantly trying to entice to come to our networking events, sort of building our brand and trying to win that business. But I was sat directly next to that architect who could be a you know, 100, 200k revenue client that would be brought directly into XB surveys. And it's just a sort of one share that win, but equally sort of share what that looks like from a wider business perspective. All of our businesses use and communicate with each other. I don't think there's been a single transaction where another business hasn't helped in any capacity and not only benefited from the revenue, but benefited from the control, maybe saved some profit in the scheme. Speed is a big one if we know the scheme already. We're already already in the same office. We know how to get access and we know who to liaise with. So that's just a quick share, but these these come weekly, daily sometimes of like benefits to running businesses that are sort of up or down or aside in the supply chain. So if you were to look at a national home builder, what they tend to do is to go up and down the supply chain. So when they start out, they start developing houses, then they start buying their own plant hire, then they start shipping in their own cement, then they start buying their own quarries, then they start producing their own bricks. And they sort of build this profit margin greater to each and every company. And the way that they build the new spin-off businesses is a lot of the business, a lot of the issues to running a start or new business is sales. And if you've already got that sales that you're paying for in one business, you can sort of piggyback off that risk. So that's exactly how we set up XB surveys. The amount of surveys we paid for in a year could easily hire someone full-time to start up XB surveys. And that's exactly how we started. So maybe if you're already at like a mature level in one of your businesses or your only business, maybe think about what sort of other businesses and opportunities are there around my business that I could then fold that business into. Ben, anything else to share? Yeah, nice. I mean, for those that are listening that are new, you know, we do have the ecosystem that's shown on screen. And if you work left to right, effectively at the start of every single project, we've got XB surveys who do a measured building and topographical survey for us. That typically then gets passed over to Aura Architecture and Interiors which is my business that's been running for six years, then XP property are the ones that normally develop that out. And then it goes over either to the social housing portfolio, Aparo Social, that we've been building in the last three years, or over to Central Suites, which is Jack's business with his brother that manages you know, property management company and builds its own sort of HMO and co-living portfolio as well. So five businesses, they're all interlinked. Like Jack says, there's vertical integration and, you know, there's no loss of sales to, to external parties. You know, we're, we're keeping a lot of it in-house, you know, in different guises with different company structures. But fundamentally, you know, XP Property Pay Aura to do some work, who's paid XP surveys to do some surveys. And that trickles down into our own businesses. So we're feeding our own companies, basically, um, which I would highly recommend. And Jack's point about kind of having a service-based business, I was also in a a room of 15 developers yesterday, every single one of them say cash flow is the biggest issue. And some of them are looking at actually acquiring 
businesses, which I think is a, a whole topic in itself. And maybe Jack and I will have a, a brief conversation in the next couple of weeks about that because we've looked into that for XP surveys. But buying existing businesses for cash flow is a great way of kind of jumping the startup phase in any business. And I can tell you, having gone through Aura and you know now XP surveys, starting a business bootstrapped from scratch is bloody hard work. So yeah, buying into something that's already been running, that's already profitable, that's already got a team and management in place um, can be a very, very lucrative way of adding cash flow. Any questions on the ecosystem? Yeah, drop them below. We'd love to talk about that more. Personal finance sheet tips. This one's for Jack. So over to you. Yeah, cool. So we're so this this is twofold really. We're we're going into an expensive month for everyone. This uh, this is you know business aside. Let's think about ourselves personally, our personal incomings, our personal outgoings. And December's an expensive month. It's a month where everyone should be buying and spending all of their income on on their friends and family for gifts and 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 all the good stuff like that. Not to mention the dinners out and 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 the New Year's celebration where you have to pay 150 pounds for the same meal you could have got the day after for 30 pounds. But I've always been a, a massive advocate of actually really understanding your own sort of costs and outgoings to your income. It's even more impactful for setting goals and forecasting and saving money. But it's as simple as this. There's loads of apps out there where it sort of rounds it up and does it for you. But if I'm honest, I love a spreadsheet. It doesn't take a lot of work to put it into a spreadsheet. And when our FD came in to to help us do a forecast on our spreadsheets, they actually asked us, what do you want to earn? What do you earn currently? What are your overheads currently? What do you want to earn in the future? And I think if you haven't done that personally, it's going to make it more difficult for you to get clarity on what you want to be doing in business. And even if you're 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 on a salaried role and you want to remain on a salaried role, what could you save? What you know additional income go into? Could it go into an investment? Could it go into holidays? Whatever it may be. So I thought December was the time of the month to sort of share this, and we have this as a spreadsheet that we can share with anyone. So comment on this personal finance sheet or send us a, an email or whatever it may be to info at xpproperty.co.uk. And it's fundamentally taking your current outgoings, your potential future outgoings. So we all want to be going on the lavish holidays one day and you can sort of factor that into future income. So what we have is current, next year, ideal and then goal life. So you can sort of see there, I'm not going to say whose cash flow this is. Someone wants to be earning 300 grand a year to live their sort of goal life personally. Now, what this then feeds into is you can then look at your income after tax. You can then look at dividends if you are obviously a company director. You can look at other companies that you own with other directors and look at what their dividend preference is. It's really key to get dividends right because you can't not take equally the same amount out of the company. So it's really good to get some structure and understanding to actually spend hard-earned cash as you can and also be tax efficient with pay and dividends. This also feeds in on my spreadsheet, and I'm happy to share this, is like mortgage availability. So with income and as it's changing, Ben and I tend to, to some degree, fluctuate on how we pay ourselves depending on success, profits, projects, reinvestment, yada, yada. I think we're the least paid company directors out there from a development perspective, but there you go. But this also feeds then into like actual your mortgage ability and what you can prove as a mortgage because time and time and time again, I speak to company directors and they cannot get a mortgage. You know, they haven't thought that far ahead to obtain a good mortgage. And sometimes it doesn't take a lot to prove a better mortgage from a business or an income capacity. And if you want to buy a house in two years, start thinking about that now. Start thinking about your pay now. Yes, you might have to pay more tax, but you can borrow more on a mortgage. So this all feeds in together and I'm happy to share this. It's imperative for sort of 
my currently where we're at and budgeting next year, ideal, and then goal. And it's sort of as you go through the steps of growth, personal growth, salary increases, uh, or business growth, enables you to sort of map out your personal finances a lot better. Yeah, I love that. I think we've spoken about before over the last couple of years, we've sort of changed, not changed that, but pivoted to sort of fully understand really what we want out of the business. You know, we've set a target of 400 grand net per project per annum for all of our development projects. Now, there's a reason behind that. And the reason is that it kind of feeds all the way back to where we want to be personally as you know directors of the business and it factors in the overhead of the company to then be like, okay, well, what do we need to make in our projects to kind of sustain that living and actually live the life that we want to live? So there's no point in doing all this hard work for, you know, for no gain. So actually tracking where you want to get to and what you actually need from a financial perspective to achieve that is massive. So this helps hugely. I just wanted to quickly touch on for those of you that can see this on YouTube, that's brilliant. But if you're not subscribed on the Property Experts podcast over on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Amazon Music or CastBox or whatever podcast platform you listen to, please head over. You know, at the moment we're playing catch up on these Friday lives. We're launching about three new episodes every week. And then every time we deliver this on a Friday afternoon, we will then be launching the audio version in the Property Experts podcast. So yeah, we're gaining loads of traction. We're up to a thousand over, well, I think over 1100 listeners now. So yeah, it's, it's gaining traction. You can see the testimonials on the screen, really valuable content. Love the detail you guys go into. These videos are so educational and that's what they're all about, you know, helping you guys be better and grow your businesses as well. So yeah, do tune in. I got asked this week in one of our XP community groups by one of our mentees, Ben, any tips for assessing existing lofts on viewings for HMO loft conversion? So it's not really relevant to just HMOs, it's really any loft conversion. And these are the types of things that I would always look at and make sure I'm getting a good understanding of. I've learned this through all of the architectural work that I've done, all of the structural engineering work that I've done, and obviously all of the investments and developments that we've worked on. So going through these, typically you'll want about 2.4 meters clear height from the top of the floor or ceiling joists to the underside of the ridge. That's probably the minimum that you would need, depending on a lot of other things, which we'll come on to, but that's a really good starting point. You know, if you're lower than 2.4 in that, that height you're probably going to have to change a lot and it might cost you a bit more to convert if you don't have that 2.4 meter clear height one of the things you can do is drop the floor you know if you've got a 2.8 meter head height on the first floor like a lot of kind of victorian properties in london may well have you know you've probably got a chance to drop that floor by 300 millimeters be careful with window heights if you're doing that because if you've got window height and then your floor and you're lowering it by three or four hundred you may have to have you know a boxing out around the windows for example to to cater for that dropped floor but that's obviously a really good way of then getting more height in the loft typically sort of victorian properties will have a pitch between 35 and 37 degrees i mean if you're looking at a 1960s 1970s build the pitch of the roof will be far lower than that and it's often you know not not even possible to convert those types of lofts but yeah, Victorian Edwardian properties in London will be somewhere between sort of 35 and maybe 40 degrees. Um, you know, that's a good, good starting point. You'll need to check the structural walls below and make sure that you can support all of the new steel work that will be necessary for your loft if new steel work will be needed. And most of the time it will. You'll just need to make sure that that structural support is available on the first floor or on the floor below. Rafter depth that isn't taken into consideration enough. And what I mean by that, as you can see on sort of the screen where my arrow is, these are your rafters. 
again, in, in old school, you know, 1900s build Victorian properties in London, they're often going to be four by twos. That's 100 mil by 50, 100 mil depth. But in reality, nowadays, with building regulations and new values and the amount of insulation that you're going to need to be putting into that property, the insulation that you might need is 100 mil, probably more nowadays. So what you'll have to do is probably batten out the existing rafters. Now, battening that out and putting insulation across the face of it lowers the available headroom by three or four inches, which obviously lowers the amount of head height that you have in that space. So again, not just 2.4 being clear in terms of head height, you may well need to actually lower the floors because once you take into consideration extending the depth of those rafters, you're not going to have as much head height. So yeah, rafter depth is is key. And then floor joists, you can see again where I've got my cursor here, you can see the old floor joists here. And we have put new floor joists spanning the opposite way across them. Now, there are often opportunities where you can install new supporting steelwork between the existing rafters, which is great because it means the thickness and the void of that floor doesn't have to change too much. But if you can't do that and you have to put a steel above the existing ceiling joists, and for those that are listening on the podcast, I'm sort of waving my hands around trying to sort of dictate this, but if you have to put a steel beam across the top of ceiling joists, you're going to lose further depth in terms of available head height in the loft as well. So all of these things are my top six tips to look out for when converting a loft. If you think I've missed one or I'm talking rubbish, let me know if there's anything that you think. I've got a couple. Sorry, my signal just cut out. So when you're looking at these, and you know, I don't know if Ben touched on this, but it makes a lot of logical sense to rewrap the new staircase around the existing staircase. There's a reason that they do that in existing buildings because that space is is very easily got the same angle of steps going up in most occasions. And then last little tip from me, probably, you know, sometimes we're playing with, you know, inches, sometimes even millimetres when we're going into the loft of buildings. And we bought a flat, me and my brother bought a flat two years ago or so, and there was a steel bulkhead with a light fitted underneath the steel bulkhead. And a little tip that we did to make the area feel more spacious and, you know, more airy, is just remove that light that's fitted to the bulkhead and fit LEDs either side of that bulkhead. Equally, what you can do if you've got a super, super low ceiling is do an integrated LED light within the plasterboard in the groove of the apex of the roof. So your light fitting is in- integrated into the roof. So your actual gap that you have between the roof and the light is zero because your LED is literally in line with the plaster finish at the top of the, the apex. So when you're playing with those finishes, it certainly makes a difference. If you're excited by some of the property developments or investments that we talk about on this show and want to know more about investing £100,000 or more with XP, email info at xpproperty.co.uk to set up a call with one of our team. We can discuss our open investment opportunities and provide you with our track record details showing with complete transparency our historic performance project by project and how you could be part of our growing pipeline of developments. Nice. Direct debit payments, rule of percentage cost. What's this about? Yeah, cool. So someone in the office asked me, basically, it was a membership that we pay for one of our employees. And he said, "Can I? You know, is it okay that we, we renew this membership under the business? My first comment was yes. My next comment is, what other payment types can we do? You know, for, obviously, we're going to say, do, it, do they accept American Express? But next onto that is direct debit. Now, I feel that there's a lot of decision making in buying something 
And I would highly recommend that whatever you're buying, whatever you're doing, whether it's insurance you're taking out for a building, whether it's buying equipment for the business, or whether you're buying a subscription type thing like a product for the business, always ask yourself, what's the most efficient and effective and cost-effective way to pay for this product? Now, what I mean by that is we love taking things on direct debit because it straddles the payment over a year and it builds your cash flow day one. We touched on cash flow on the first slide and on the second slide. But have you chat with yourself and think about yourself with the question. I always say to my wife that if she's ever buying anything, you know, for an example, she bought a vehicle in, in America and it was a 0% APR rate on PCP. Why wouldn't you do that? You know, it's costing you nothing to spread that. In reality, if you bought it cash, and you know you can you're basically wasting that cash flow on that product in my opinion if it's zero percent the way that we gauge the cost of things outside of you know whether it's zero percent or higher than zero percent let's for an example use a project so we bought a development we have an equity investor who's on a profit share and we have a bank lending us you know 70 percent of the purchase and 100 percent of the bill costs when we take out insurance on site we just got an insurance mural for five grand for one of our development sites we can either pay that five grand on the nose there and then or straddle it over a 12-month period at 7%. Now, our debt, our bank lender on that site is costing us about 12% by the time we've gone in and out. So I know that paying a 7% cost to the insurance company, which is probably backed by a bank like Short Close Brothers or Shawbrook or whatever it may be, putting that on a direct debit is actually cheaper for us. So it's at, by the end of the years come around, our cost of capital is more expensive than taking that direct debit product. One thing I haven't touched on here is cost of inflation. Inflation equally is going up or every year. I'm not saying the rate is going up. I'm saying every year your pound is worth less at the end of the year than it is at the beginning of the year. So always look at the cost of running on the direct debit, the APR rate of going on direct debit. And I would stress as much as you can to put as much of your business cost, personal cost, whatever it may be, on direct debit payments. Because I can guarantee if you do that effectively across the payment, sometimes I've looked at APRs like 18%, I just pay it on the nose and, and don't worry about that rate because I would rather 18% return on my money. But this is an example of gauging those different, your cost of capital or the cost of running it is a really, really key one to, to think about there. And it you know it does help with cash flow personally or, or in the business or whatever it may be. So consider that when you're next taking payment plans or looking at direct debits. It doesn't do anything to your credit rating. It's just paying for something over 12 months rather than just a one-off payment. And it's definitely something that everyone needs to look into with everything they do. As an example, I bring up the insurance again. Our insurance broker got us the quote of £5,000. He went away and said, here's your quote. And I said, what is that if we pay that on a direct debit basis? And he came back with a price. I worked it out. It worked out to be about 10%. And I said, the only way that I would do direct debit if it's cheaper, what's the cheapest you can do on this? We actually found out they were putting a markup on the direct debit amount. So I managed to scrutinize them down to 6%. So I saved 4% on putting it onto direct debit by just asking the question. So make sure whatever you're buying, ask a question about direct debit. Ask the question if they're making a markup. And if they are, tell them that you're still buying their products off them so that you shouldn't be making a markup. And agree that and try and sort of integrate that into your sort of thought process when buying something. Very good. So one of the biggest successes that we had this week is the Marlowe version 2.0, I guess, the, the rear planning application. For those that have been following us about six months ago, we achieved planning approval for this front part of the section. So it's a grade two listed building in just off Marlowe High Street. Front is grade two listed. We're converting that to four units. And then we've just got planning approval for this rear section of the building into another four units, which is 
amazing. And there was a huge amount of back and forth with the planning officer and the listed building officer. It was, to be honest, a nightmare. Um, but it all is and always is with planning. Um, so we've got a nice eight unit scheme, which we will be delivering in the new year. We have a joint venture agreement ready to pretty much now ready to sign with our investment partner on this project. So they will be investing in this scheme for a 50-50 equity split and profit share. And we yeah, hope to get on site probably in February next year to kick things off. Something that we exchanged with a delayed completion. So for those that don't know what that involves, we actually exchanged on this probably 18 months ago with a nominal £5,000 deposit which allowed us to then give us the time to get the appropriate planning approvals in place. We've got an agreed completion date of the 19th, 20th of December, so a couple of weeks' time. And, yeah, we're going to be shortly building this out. And it's a great location. It's very much aimed at downsizing, you know, local elderly sort of people that want to downsize and be close to the high street, walking distance to the doctors, the dentists, the pharmacists. And Marlow is a fantastic area. So yeah, pound per square foot revaluations in this area should be somewhere between 550 and 650 per square foot. So yeah, nice affluent area, affluent market town, and another one that we will be delivering in 2024. And it doesn't stop there. Yeah, new opportunity. So after our successes with planning and looking at the future moving forwards, We've got a new opportunity for a new or existing investor to come on board for a development in Oxfordshire. It's on the smaller side for us, but I, I think one of the reasons that we're keen to share this with our network is pretty much every investor that we've worked with has smart, started with a smaller scheme and grown with us, which is amazing. And it's difficult to always rekindle those relationships with new investors because we have grown and we have scaled. Our average investment to date was £450,000 across the board. And we've closed some seven-figure investments this year, multiple seven-figure investments this year. So it's nice to have a, a smaller scheme that we're very comfortable with, buy, build and hold, and give the opportunity for, for you know, you know, the grassroots of where we grew those smaller size investments. So on this particular scheme, we're looking for about 300K. It's actually an old D1, but now class E use doctor surgery that will be converting under class MA prior approval. We're finalizing the amount of units. We're sort of protecting the exit by going for either three large flats that could be HMOs for a great yield to hold or equally as a backup, more units as a, as a re good resales. But this is literally a five-minute drive from Blenheim Palace, Woodstock, and a really nice location. We actually sold a site in this town probably four years ago, didn't we, Ben? So we know the area super well. Central Suites has good coverage in this area for retaining site. You can probably see from that sort of snapshot image that we're buying quite a big building. So it's just over 3,000 square feet. But there is also future development scope in the car park. Ideally, it probably needs knocking down because it's a sort of an odd bodge. I don't know who designed it. I think all the renders that we've got sketched up look way better than the actual finished product. But at the end of the day, when we're looking for yield, we don't care too much what it looks like. Uh, it all depends on the numbers. And that's how we always sort of... Uh, kick all of our sites off, really. Do the numbers take care of themselves? Yep, cool. Let's worry about looks thereafter. Sort of the opposite of dating, isn't it, Ben? <laughs> so tonight we, I mean, Jack's been part of the board since the developer club inception. I joined the boardroom two, I don't know, six months ago, maybe seven months ago. Uh, it's a fantastic sort of round table meeting every month with high caliber developers that are out there doing really great stuff. And tonight is the awards 
dinner, you know, end of year awards event. So there's a few things up for, for grabs in terms of charity auctions. There'll be dancing, there'll be boozing, and there'll be awards, you know, celebrating those that have achieved great things. We're in the running for property developer of the year. So fingers crossed, and there are four nominees. So yeah, it'd be great to add an award from 2023 to our previous awards in 2022 and 2021 at the Property Investor Awards. So fingers crossed, should be a really good night. It'll be black tie event, lots of good laughs, and I'm really looking forward to it. Jack, anything you want to say on it? No, nothing else. We obviously picked up deal of the year last year for our St. Helens Mill, which Ben was showing the loft conversion photos on. But it's we're one of four finalists, and it's weird going into an award knowing that every single person that's also a finalist does deserve the award. It's a very, very, very competitive field, and if any of the other guys win it, I, I can understand why. But we've got to have, you know, technically speaking, we've probably got one in four chance of uh, of bringing it home. It would be nice to bring it back, but um, yeah, super excited to see everyone. They put on a good event. They have a lot of partners, you know, a lot of funders, lawyers, and yeah, some really good media that they share on the evening. So super looking forward to that as well. And like always, if you're struggling with anything within your business and have some questions that you want to ask us, ask them down below in the comments or DM us the questions and we can pick them up next week. And on that note, hopefully see you again next Friday, 5pm across YouTube, LinkedIn or Facebook. And we'll uh, catch up then. See you later. These live Q&A episodes are all about helping you grow your business and build a property portfolio that provides financial wealth. If you have specific topics that you'd like us to discuss, make sure to comment on the platform you're listening on or email info at xpproperty.co.uk so that we can discuss your topic in future episodes. And if you found these conversations valuable for growing your business, make sure to click that follow button and we'd really love for you to tell just one person about us. Thank you.